It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. The latest ads for the iPhone are all about the app tracking transparency that lets you control which apps are allowed to track your activity across other companies' apps and websites. But at Apple, we believe that you should have a choice. App Tracking Transparency, a simple new feature that puts your data back in your control. The ads end with the words, privacy, that's iPhone. And that's been one of Apple's arguments in its high-stakes legal battle with Epic Games, saying its control of the App Store is the only way to ensure security and privacy on iPhones, with Epic claiming that the App Store is anti-competitive. Joining me is antitrust expert Harry First, a professor at NYU Law School. So, Harry, there's been no jury at this three-week trial, and it will now be up to Judge Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers to make the decision in the case. What are some of the issues she'll be considering? Well, there's sort of a set of legal issues, which involves the technical issues for antitrust. What's the market? How do you define it? What's the conduct? What are the competitive justifications? And what's the harm? So, you know, those are the legal issues that the parties have to deal with. And then there's the, you know, what's it all about part of the case, sort of the texture of what the party's business complaints really are and why they're doing what they're doing. And that, in the end, informs the facts that she finds and her conclusions. So that part is, you know, well... How do you justify this price gouging, Mr. Cook? And how did you decide to name Fortnite Fortnite? You know, and is a banana banana? I mean, that's sort of what their business is, what gaming is, and what Apple's business is, and how they can continue to charge so much money and justify it. And there you're referring to some of the more bizarre moments in the trial with the discussion of a banana action figure in Fortnite and the judges' questions about how the game was named. Now, Apple has been saying that iPhone security and privacy drives what they do. And Tim Cook on the stand repeatedly said that the rules and restrictions on the App Store are aimed at ensuring a safe and secure platform for consumers. But the judge seems skeptical about that argument. I think anyone is always a little skeptical when the head of a company that has the highest value of any company in the country says, oh, no, we're really just in it to protect our users' privacy. So, you know, is it a smokescreen? I think Epic's representatives are pushing on that. And is there some reality to it? Sure, there's some reality to it. That's what Apple's been pushing as its brand, that it's safer. So 
is it really? Well, they've had expert witnesses who've testified, no, not really. It's no more or less safe than Google Play and the Android marketplace. So you can say it all you want, but still stuff gets by. And I don't think anyone's going to ever believe that that's all that they're doing. They may be doing that, but this is about making a whole lot of money. And they are making a ton of money. And as far as money goes, Apple claims that it doesn't break out the App Store's profits separate from the other units in the company. And Cook denied repeatedly that he knew how much money Apple makes in profits on the App Store. Is that believable? You know, this strikes me as amazing. This is a, this is a company with a market cap over $2 trillion, and they don't know where their money, you know, oh, Really? We get paid so many billions of dollars by Google? Oh, I have no idea how much <laughs> how much that is. Oh, do we make money off the App Store? Gee, I don't know. We just keep investing hundreds of millions of dollars. What, for the fun of it? I mean, this is wacko. I'm not sure it's a great strategy to walk away from the idea that this is very profitable. And I think their legal strategy in the end will be to say, yes, it is profitable. And that's what incentivizes innovation. Now, you can't say it's an incentive for innovation if you don't know that it's profitable. I mean, it's just wacko. And I don't think anybody's going to believe that. It's just, I'm not sure why his lawyers sent him in to say that. Maybe they didn't. Maybe that's how, what he really believes. But it seems unbelievable. Yet, maybe it's an accounting matter. Maybe they don't break it out exactly. But that doesn't mean they don't know what's going on. The judge also seemed a little skeptical about Apple's intellectual property argument. You know, they're protecting their IP. They're spending so much money on their IP. She said that they're making a disproportionate amount of money relative to the IP you've given them. Tech companies have often, this this started with Microsoft, probably went back before, said, oh, you know, we've got to protect our intellectual property rights, and we've been given these rights, and these are really important to us. And they they never are put to the test whether any of these rights are enforceable. And, you know, it's sort of a smokescreen about rights, but it's really about protecting their business. As for the relative value of putting together the IP, and there's a lot of, on paper, a lot of copyright and patent protection for what they do. But the relative value of doing that and what value is added by the gamers and the implementers This is always an issue as well, you know, because both parties need each other. So one party says, I'm the most important one. I should get the biggest amount. And the other says, no, without me, no one would have a phone. So one of the interesting things is this issue was raised in another piece of litigation in California involving Qualcomm and their patents on phone technology. And the handset makers say, you know, we pay you a lot of money for this. And this technology is all about making voice calls. And, you know, most people don't use phones for that anymore, but we still have to pay you these huge royalties based on the sale price of the handset. So in that litigation, Qualcomm was defending its very high royalties, while the handset makers, including Apple, were upset with it. So a historic, a constant debate in intellectual property where sort of both sides need each other, and one side says, we're paying you way more than what you contribute to the deal, uh, which is what the programmers are saying. 
And I think the judge is picking up on that. So a lot of legal experts gave Apple the advantage going into the trial. But there was a shift after hearing the judge questioning Tim Cook. If the judge finds in favor of Epic, what kind of remedies might she order? Well, she could enjoin Apple from keeping Epic from providing consumers information about a different way to process their charges for payments they make for things in the application. Epic apparently had a screen that they wanted to show consumers, say, which would you like to do, pay more to Apple or less to us? (laughs) So she could enjoin Apple from stopping Epic from doing that. Whatever she orders, my guess is either she will stay her order or the Court of Appeals will stay her order. So actually, nothing may happen immediately, no matter how she rules, and it will await a decision by the Court of Appeals. Epic, interestingly, is not asking for money. They're not asking for damages from the high charges. I think it's a clever tactical move on Epic's lawyer's part. So just saying, give us a chance to compete for consumers. Give consumers a choice and makes a very clean ask in a way. Could the judge ever rule, okay, you're taking 30% from developers now, that's too much, you have to take 20% or whatever? So one of the interesting aspects of this is, as a legal matter, there is no antitrust restriction on Apple charges. Even as a monopolist, they can charge whatever the heck they want, and it doesn't violate antitrust law. So judges are very loath to start monkeying with saying your prices are too high. And in the Qualcomm case, the district court judge did get into that issue, and on appeal, everyone sort of sidestepped that. So it's not a violation of the antitrust laws to charge a high fee, even an exorbitant fee. So it's hard for a judge to now say, okay, I'm going to price regulate you, and you you can only charge X percent. I don't see her doing that, and I don't see Epic asking for that because I think they will get reversed so fast in the Court of Appeals. So I think they're being careful to stay away from that, but to try to achieve a similar result in a different way. What's your take on this case? Is Apple a monopolist here? Is Apple violating antitrust laws? So (laughs) I will tell you, June, that this basically was my exam question this year. (laughs) So I've been reading papers all about this. So there's a real question how we want to think of these markets. And I think the courts are going to have a little trouble with this. But my view is, in the end, they do have monopoly power over the distribution of Apple apps to the iPhone. And I think that the hard question really is, well, what's the anti-competitive effect? Who's harmed in terms of competition and how do we think about it? pretty clear that a harm is that they're being charged a high fee. And at one point, Epic calls that a tax on their business. But since we can't say that that's the harm, exactly where's the competitive harm? They don't compete with Epic. They don't have their own games that compete. There are other sellers who complain about Apple and are competing with them. So it's not that. So exactly how is competition, you know, which we tend to think of as rivalry among different sellers of products, How is that affected other than Epic's being forced and all developers being forced to pay a lot of money? How are courts going to deal with that? Now, I would like to see courts deal with that a little more, but I think that's going to be a difficult issue. 
it may end up going to the Supreme Court. Thanks, Harry. That's Professor Harry First of NYU Law School. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Billions of dollars are at stake, and at the end of the three-week trial, the judge who'll decide the Apple Epic case has signaled that neither Apple nor Epic Games will get what they want from her ruling. Joining me is Malathi Nayak, Bloomberg Legal Reporter. The judge made some telling remarks at the end of the trial. Tell us a little bit about what she said. So the judge in this case, uh, you know, towards the end of this trial, had some really tough questions for both sides, and it was sort of telling because I think that, you know, through the trial, some of these questions came up, but towards the end, uh, she talked about how Apple potentially doesn't face any real competition in the market for uh, app distribution. And on the other side, she also questioned um, Epic's motives and asked, you know, whether Epic was uh, suing because they were doing it uh, to become richer than they are as a gaming company currently. What are her options here? So the judge has a few options. Obviously, she's very powerful here, and this is an antitrust case that is extremely complex. She can either grant Epic's uh, request for a ruling that would block the App Store and its policies in their current form. Uh, she could perhaps go a step further and even uh, ask Apple to change the 30% commission rate that it currently charges developers. Uh, on the other hand, she could maybe decide not to go that far and uh, take a step back because sometimes judges are reluctant to really rule in a way that would disrupt a market. So uh, it's possible that she decides not to go that far and says that uh, Apple's uh, App Store as it is, is fine and isn't a monopoly. Uh, and she could also choose something in the middle, which is something she hinted at during the course of the trial. You know, one of the, the issues that Epic had, and this came up in the case too uh, during the trial, was that uh, currently uh, Apple's app store policies don't let users go outside an app to buy virtual goods at a cheaper rate. So, for instance, what um, Epic wanted to do was um, have some sort of an alternative payment system where users could go, you know, outside the app store uh, and, you know, on the, on the Fortnite app and buy virtual goods directly to sort of circumvent the 30% commission. And one of the app store policies currently doesn't let um, developers include a link, some sort of a button that maybe a user can click on that would take the user to the web where online they could purchase the same uh, virtual goods like in-app currency at a cheaper rate. So that was an issue that came up. This is sort of called um, an anti-steering rule that Apple has where developers can't steer a customer outside the realm of the iOS ecosystem to make cheaper purchases outside, for instance, on a web browser. So the judge kept asking during the trial, you know, why can't Apple just allow, she, in fact, she asked Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, this, why can't Apple just give consumers this choice, uh, either through some sort of a link or a button that a developer can place within an app 
so that the consumer has a choice to go outside the app store and make a purchase potentially on the web, at, you know, at a discounted price. So it's possible that she chooses some sort of a compromise where maybe she asks for some sort of tweaks to some of these app, app store policies that Epic has an issue with. So she could also sort of find some sort of middle ground here instead of giving Epic or Apple an entire win, she could give them a partial, she could give Epic a partial win. So legal experts going into the trial gave Apple the advantage until Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, testified. Was it the judge's questions were harsh? Was it that he didn't have the right answers? Yeah, it was very interesting to see Tim Cook take the witness stand for the first time ever. Uh, and the judge definitely had some very, very tough questions for him. And I think, you know, again, this whole question of consumer choice says why can't Apple just um, let developers provide users alternative options to, to, to buy virtual goods outside the app store was one of the questions she had. And Tim Cook said that, you know, but we have all this intellectual property that we've invested millions on and we've helped these developers create these businesses on top of our ecosystem. So we need a return on investment. And that was his response in terms of having a return on investment uh, for all the IP that they've been providing developers. And I think one of the the arguments that Apple also made was that um, Epic was basically just getting a free ride on the App Store and building out this big business, uh, making use of its IP. And she also asked Tim Cook another question, which was recently Apple introduced this sort of small business program where they reduced the commission from 30% to 15% for for small businesses. And um, this happened sometime around the pandemic. And at that time, there was a lot of scrutiny from U.S. lawmakers, regulators in Europe. This whole discussion around the App Store and uh, how Apple controls the App Store, the judge asked Tim Cook whether it was, you know, all the regulatory scrutiny that was pushing the company to, to, to sort of introduce this new program where they were giving uh, small businesses this uh, smaller commission, a 15% commission cut. And uh, she asked him what the motive behind that was. And, you know, Tim Cook said, oh, no, you know, of course, the lawsuit that Epic filed and all the, the regulatory scrutiny was at the back of my mind. But, you know, it was the pandemic and we wanted to do something for the developers. Tell us a little about Apple's argument that this is all about security on their platform. So, yeah, I think this whole argument that Apple has been making that, you know, that what they're doing here in terms of restricting um the app store or like, you know, having these, uh, these stringent rules and regulations around the app store, um, you know, they keep arguing that it is for the benefit of developers or it's for the benefit of customers that they need to have these restrictions in place so that consumers have a safe uh, and trusted experience when they have, um, when they're playing games or using their iPhone. And I'm not entirely sure the judge was convinced because, you know, she was questioning uh, whether Apple or um, Epic may have some sort of, you know, monetary motives or sort of monetary, must be thinking of monetary benefits, uh, you know, at this point. So did you sense tension between them or was it just tough questioning? There was definitely, you know, some tension. I mean, when when we had uh, Tim Cook being questioned, Apple's lawyer, it was definitely a lot 
uh, friendlier and you know typically uh, you see a lot of these executives when they uh, uh, when they're questioned by their own lawyers they're definitely more relaxed um with the judge you know he he definitely was a bit uh, he did have justifications but they just didn't seem convincing enough um i think so uh, i feel like he was um uh, he definitely had justifications but this whole um argument about how the active restrictions are necessary because they help developers and customers uh, i'm not sure it was uh, I, i'm not sure the judge was entirely persuaded by that did she question all the witnesses or just him cook she questioned you know um, a number of witnesses there were other executives from apple as well there was phil schiller who is um, now an apple fellow but you know uh, has been uh, apple's marketing chief for a very long time she even questioned him sweeney who was at the stand who's epic ceo as well so this was in the first week of the trial so she definitely had a lot of questions but towards the end of the trial as it wrapped up this exchange with him cook was definitely an interesting one and uh, though i was listening to the audio feed the tension in the room was definitely palpable i didn't know much about gaming or epic but it's not some new upstart fighting to keep its company going fortnite generated 5 billion dollars for epic and the app store for apple possibly about 20 billion a year so oh no uh, definitely not this this um game business is well known and fortnite is a very very popular game so and and i think the big question is if epic didn't have to pay that 30% to apple they'd probably be richer than they are today so um although in this fight interestingly enough epic isn't seeking any damages uh, you know it's more a fight on principle in terms of we want this app store to be the one where developers have the freedom in terms of uh, deciding what what sort of payment systems need to be in place and also um you know how uh customers should sort of um experience an app so let's say the judge does take the compromise route and says that apple has to allow the gamers to put a link in so that people can buy from them directly is there been an estimate about how much apple would lose in revenue from that so you know it's very interesting because apple so far has not shared its app store revenues so it says that you know as per the accounting rules it doesn't have to separate the app store out as a separate business unit so uh, so this there is a sort of mystery around what that number is of course we have estimates in place um and you know uh, it is supposed to be uh, somewhere to the tune of 20 billion but they will definitely lose a lot of money because we're talking about you know um thousands and thousands of developers and millions of apps and if they don't get the 30% uh, commission uh, then you know it, it is going to definitely um be a big financial uh, sort of setback because they're not going to make those um fees that they have been collecting in commissions and what's interesting too is that this business with the app store that apple has created is a high margin business so you know they're getting a lot in return for not really uh, investing as much so for instance they do have this ip in place and everything but this uh, uh, but the commissions that are coming in are uh, are coming in at, at you know high margin 
And so how long did the judge say how long before she gives her decision? So she didn't specify a specific date, but she did say that she would rule as soon as possible, you know, while all of the arguments and um, testimony and evidence is fresh in her memory. Um, she is going into trial uh, the first week of June. So uh, we're expecting something perhaps later this summer, but she didn't specify a date, but we should we should probably have a ruling uh, in coming months uh, and um, you know, everyone is definitely going to be keeping an eye out for that. <laughs> and she's anticipating already. I mean, everyone assumes that whoever loses is going to appeal. In fact, the judge herself actually said that, you know, she wanted to build out a very clear record of the evidence because she expects an appeal in this case. And, um, you know, legal experts do um, expect, you know, the losing side to file an appeal. If there is this sort of a compromise or middle ground uh, situation that we end up with, then it's possible that both sides appeal as well. So uh, we'd have to see how it pans out once we have the ruling. Now, that would be an interesting appeal. Thanks so much for being on the Bloomberg Law Show. That's Malathi Nayak, Bloomberg Legal Reporter. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.